Okay. Let me adjust my microphone here. Well, it was 1555 A.D. Under the tyrannical reign of Bloody Mary. You remember her in history books? John Rogers was sentenced to be burned alive for his Protestant faith. Rogers was unmoved in his conviction. There were many trials, councils, imprisonments, and pleas for him to deny his teaching. He was even threatened to be burned at the stake. And finally his response was, That which I have preached... I will seal with my own blood. A large crowd lined the street of Smithfield the day of his execution. John Rogers walked down the main road toward a pile of wood. He appeared resolved. He was walking steadily behind the sheriffs. And on his way, he passed by his own wife and ten children whom he hadn't seen for months. In fact, he had never even met his youngest, who was still breastfeeding. Strangely, he did not linger with his family. He did not weep. In fact, John Rogers was singing. He was singing a psalm as he walked. The crowd, his wife, even his own children, did not weep either but rather erupted in applause, encouraging him as he walked. Some recited the psalm with him. John Rogers finally embraced the stake, lifted his hands, and was lit on fire. The French ambassador wrote home a description of the event. He said, this day was performed the public and solemn sacrifice of a preaching doctor named Rogers. He was burned alive because of his persisting opinions. But as he walked to his death, the people were not afraid to encourage him and strengthen his courage, even his own children. It seemed as if Rogers was being led to a wedding not a burial. His title in the press was The Happy Martyr. Well, this French ambassador was not the first to call the persecuted happy. In fact, another did it before him 1,500 years before. And we have a record of it in Matthew chapter 5. So why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The first to call the persecuted happy. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. There's the passage on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or you're not able to get one under the seats. This is the Lord Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Be happy. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, makes it plain, Christians will be persecuted, and they will be happy. I wonder, is that how you view persecution? When you think about persecution, do you think happy thoughts? Are you glad? Resolve to rejoice when persecution comes. I don't know if you knew this, but persecution is actually part of the Christian life. They didn't tell you that when you signed up, did they? It's true. And of course, it's, un- it's not unlikely that we will see an increase in persecution in our country, in our lifetime, even in the next couple of years. Are you expecting it? Do you know what real persecution is? We're throwing that word around today. Is there real persecution that we're facing? And the ultimate question is, will you rejoice and be glad through it, trusting in the Lord? As we prepare for doomsday in this short series, it's important for us to understand biblical persecution because it's coming. And Matthew 5 gives us great instruction on this topic. So I have three points for you today in this outline. Three points that will walk us through this Matthew 5 passage. Here's the outline here. The first is this. Persecution is expected. Persecution is expected. Matthew chapter 5 is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He preaches this great sermon through a variety of topics. It's, you can consider it to be the king's inaugural address. Because Matthew, Matthew, or the Gospel of Matthew, paints a great picture of Christ as king. He's the promised Messiah. And so this sermon is somewhat of an inaugural address for him. This is what Jesus says kingdom citizens look like. This is what the Christian life looks like. This is how you ought to live the Christian life. It's a clear description of what His kingdom citizens look like. And so we start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is where the sermon starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In our passage, blessed are those who are persecuted. So things... These are things that we can expect from the Christian's life, that they will be poor in spirit, that they will be meek, that they will be merciful, that they will be peacemakers, and that they will be persecuted. Now, when you read through these attributes, you also see that this is a description of our king. 
This is who our king is. Jesus perfected humility. He was poor in spirit. Jesus perfected gentleness. He perfected righteousness. He perfected mercy. He was pure. He was a peacemaker. And guess what? The Lord Jesus was persecuted, wasn't he? And so this confirms a principle that we know is true. If you call yourself a Christian, that means you are a Christ follower. That means you follow Christ in his humility. You follow Christ in his gentleness. And you also follow Christ in his persecution. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. The Christian life, we should expect persecution. Jesus also said in John 15, I have this verse up there on the screen, John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. That's a promise from the Lord. Straight from the lips of Christ. Persecution should not surprise us. It was promised to us. A couple more passages for us to look at. 1 John 3.13 Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, here it is, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. That's a promise. Take it to the bank. Persecution is guaranteed for the Christian life. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. How does that hit you, Christian? Are you expecting it? Or when it hits you, are you surprised, caught off guard, retaliate, respond emotionally? Well, that's not fair. No, we should expect it. We should see it coming, if you will. So, Americans, let's talk, to, let's talk to the American people, to us as Americans. Do not be surprised when our society no longer advocates a biblical morality, i.e. the value of human life, i.e. God's design for gender, the sanctity of marriage. Don't be surprised when the American society leaves those things. Don't be surprised, Americans, when our society becomes intolerant toward those who advocate biblical morality, i.e. Christians labeled homophobic or legislation taking God off of our dollar bills, out of our anthems, out of school curriculum, threatening lawsuits toward religious institutions and businesses. Why does that surprise us? Furthermore, Christian, don't be surprised when society begins to attack those who advocate biblical morality, i.e. Christians are shamed on public television for their traditional values. Employees, employers fired for religious convictions. Teachers giving bad grades to students who write about God in their papers. Family disowning you in your conversion. Friends slandering and insulting you behind your back because of Jesus. Don't be surprised. This is to be expected. I know it's not a great message to bring people to your church and have them stay. 
But it's true because the Bible talks about it. Jesus promised it. It's not a question of if, Christian. It's a question of when and how persecution comes. Remember this promise from our Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Look at the very end of that verse. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If they persecuted the prophets, then you should expect the same, Christian. You know, John Calvin said, it is a vain endeavor to detach Christ from his cross. Similarly, he said, it is a vain endeavor to detach the Christian from the cross they must bear. As we follow Christ, there will be persecution. I had the opportunity to preach at Hume Lake Christian Camp, a camp where a bunch of students come from different churches to hear the gospel and to engage in fun activities. It's, it's a great thing. The theme of the camp that year was what it means to follow Jesus. And I preached a message on persecution. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Take up your cross and follow me. So I preached a message on persecution. I remember a young man walk up to me with tears in his eyes after the message. He said, one of my closest friends just told me this week that he wants nothing more to do with me because I follow Jesus. This teenage boy. I, you know, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I know it hurts to lose a friend, a close friend. But you know what? I told him, I said, I'm encouraged. Because you know what that tells me? That you're following Jesus. And this is to be expected. That's encouragement to me. That's, that's fruit that you are truly following your master. And remember, if they persecuted him, they will persecute us. Remember that, Christian. Matthew chapter 5 tells us, listen, the walk to the kingdom of heaven is not a walk in roses. It's not a, a blissful stroll through the park. It, it's painful. It's hard. The Christian life is at times very, very difficult. We are not without trial. We are not without tribulation. We will not be without persecution. In fact, the path to the kingdom is often one that you bear with scars, just like your master. Persecution should be expected. Not only that, but persecution is embraced. Embraced. That's point number two in your outline. Persecution is embraced. Look back at the text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Happy are the persecuted. Blessed, rejoice and be glad. This is so contrary to the world's view of persecution. If you're persecuted in the world... They encourage you to respond. Fight for your rights. Be angry. 
hate, revolt. Not the Christian. Jesus says, persecution is coming, and Christian, don't fight for your rights. Rejoice and be glad that you're per- being persecuted for my name's sake. Be happy. Why? How can a Christian be happy in persecution? How can we rejoice and be glad? The reasons are given to us right in this text. Number one, blessed are you. Why? There's, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have a great inheritance. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Verse 12, for your reward is great in heaven. Set eternity, perspe- uh, uh, eternity before you. You should have an eternal perspective. Look forward to the heavenly reward, Jesus says. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Set heaven before you, Christian. That's how you can be happy in persecution. Hebrews 11.24-26 through 26 speaks of Moses. It says this, By faith, Moses... When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, what? Greater riches. Far greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. The Christian can endure hardship now, Because they'll be in heaven later. The Christian can receive affliction now because they'll receive a reward later. The Christian can smile in the face of their oppressor now because they will smile in the face of their Lord later. How, you ask? I asked, how can a mother, how can a mother with her ten children Rejoice and applaud her husband as he walks to his death. How? How can a man sing himself to the stake as if he's walking to the altar on his wedding day? It's because he was. It's because on the other side of death's door stood his groom, the king who he desired to see face to face. And that mattered more to him than anything this world could offer. That's how John Rogers could sing a psalm as he's being burned alive. That's how you, Christian, can endure the persecution that's set before you. Look forward to the King, His presence, His kingdom, heaven, that you will enjoy with Him for eternity. Embrace your cross, Follow him with joy immeasurable. What did the Apostle Paul say in Philippians 1.21? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. There's work for me to do here, so I have to stay in the flesh. Yet, he says, which I shall choose... Death or life, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, he says, for that's far better. I just want to be with Jesus. But then he says, okay, but Lord, I'll I'll do what you've asked me to do. I'll, I'll accomplish and complete my task here. I'll fulfill my purpose. 
Christian, if we could only keep the King, Jesus Christ, and His kingdom, His eternal kingdom at the forefront of our minds, that we would live for Him and look forward to our future with Him, then the passing pleasures of this world, just like for Moses, will fade away. We'll be able to endure hardship, significant hardship, if we get Jesus, if we spend eternity with Him. One of the tests of the Christian life, one of the great tests in the Christian life, if you wear the name badge Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, one of the greatest tests is when the trial comes, when the persecution comes, when it, when it then becomes hard, not comfortable, not easy, but hard to be a Christian. There's your test. Are you truly a follower of Christ? Do you truly love Him more than anything else, more than your health, more than your own life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has set eternity on the hearts of men. The problem in our world today is that we're suppressing it with so many temporary pleasures and desires. Distractions that are suppressing the eternity that God has placed on all of our hearts. Eternity is on our hearts. We desire eternity, a, a blessing and, and pleasures that are eternal. But we distract those things with so many temporary, temporary pursuits. And I think it's important for us as Christians to put eternity back at the forefront. To have a heavenly mindset. An eternal mindset. This is not our home. We can embrace persecution because we've embraced Christ and will be with Him forever. I just ask, do you struggle with fear? Not knowing what's to come in this world. Do you struggle to be bold and courageous to speak the truth knowing that it could cost you your comfort? It could cost relationships, reputation. It could even cost you your life. The question, the ultimate question is, do you love Jesus Christ more than these? Think about Peter, who was walking with the Lord before he ascended. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And I could just imagine Jesus pointing to maybe the fishing boat. Peter, you love me more than your job, more than your security, your worldly, earthly security. Do you love me more than these? And follow me, right? Feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my sheep. Fulfill your purpose, Peter. Christian, set your priorities in line with what the Word of God commands us to. Does the news, does the news distract you from heaven? Turn it off. Does your phone distract you from Jesus? Turn it off. Does your money give you a false sense of security, comfort, and joy? Surrender it to the Lord and serve a greater master. The scars you bear now for the sake of Jesus are but shadows of a greater reward in heaven. Live for that reward. Live for him who you will see face to face. Embrace persecution. Rejoice and be glad through it. Looking forward to your heavenly reward. Set eternity at the forefront of your minds. Now, what is persecution? Does embracing persecution mean that I can 
twist every trouble I run into and call it persecution. Oh, the dog chewed up my brand new leather Bible. I'm being persecuted. Or, oh, I got a speeding ticket on the way to church this morning. Persecution. Or, here's one that hits a little bit closer to home. The restaurant is asking me to put on a mask. Persecution? This leads to our third point. What is real persecution? What does it look like? What does real persecution look like? And this passage informs us of what real persecution is. Look back at the text. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of fault, uh, sorry, all kinds of evil against you falsely on who's speaking? Jesus' account. So persecution, Christian, is Christ-centered. And keep it that way. For the sake of righteousness, for the sake and the name of Christ, that's persecution. Not when the dog chews up your leather Bible. Not when a universal mandate is required of you. Be very careful how loosely and how often you throw around the word persecution. Because I bet believers in Afghanistan would differ with you on that point. I bet believers in China would differ with you on those points. Just be careful. Persecution, where you can write this down, is a personal attack against you because of your faith in Jesus. Make sure he's at the center of it. Persecution is a personal attack against you because of your faith in Jesus. It it could be as minor, you see in the text, as an insult or a mocking joke. If you're insulted or mocked because of Jesus, then that's persecution. It could be major. And I think, you know, so a lot of us experience the minor right now. Maybe you have a coworker that makes fun of you or says things behind your back because of your faith. That's persecution. But we have not yet faced the death threats, the imprisonment threats, that, and the false accusations that could be coming. And that's persecution as well if Christ is at the center of it. Christ is the reason for it. You know, the word suffering is sometimes used in the place of persecution in the Scriptures. So we see this in 1 Peter 2. We're called to endure suffering like Christ did. Now in that text, he's talking about persecution, suffering. Because we know later, we see who when reviled Jesus Christ, he did not revile in return. But I want to make a distinction between all suffering and persecution. Here it is. Persecution is always suffering... But not all suffering is persecution. It's very important. Persecution is always suffering. It's always some sort of suffering. It could be minor, it could be major. But not all suffering in life is persecution. Some suffering and trials are due to sickness or disease. You're not being persecuted, you're you're suffering. It could be a natural disaster. That's suffering. 
but it's not persecution. It could be accident-related. You know, something happened by accident. That, that might be a form of suffering or a trial, but it is not persecution. Persecution is, again, a personal attack against you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. We need to keep it centered on Him. He is the reason for their attack against you. Here's the reason for their attack. The reason for their personal attack is clear in persecution. One, they don't like your king. Two, they don't like his commands. That's why they're attacking you. Because they don't like your king, who's Jesus, and they don't like his commands, which are given to you in Scripture. It's not about your political opinions. It's not about your constitutional rights. It's not about your pride. It's about Jesus Christ and following him. Make sure that you keep it centered on him. His name and his righteousness. Be sure that if you're persecuted for his name's sake, it's not for any other's sake. 1 Peter talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Peter makes this plain. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Good job. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's not persecution. That's foolishness. That's disobedience. That's unrighteousness. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't suffer for the wrong reasons. Don't break the law and then call the consequences persecution, because it's not. If they're asking you, conversely, if they're asking you to defy a clear command from God, that's a different story. That's a different story. At the end of the day, we obey God, not men. Acts chapter 5 is clear about that. Peter and the rest of the apostles, they didn't say that because the Roman government was threatening a mask mandate. You know why they said that? Because the Roman government, along with the high priest, said, don't preach the gospel. And so they said, no, at the end of the day, we obey God, not men. So just be careful, Christian. Be careful the difference between what you see as suffering and persecution. Make sure that your persecution is truly Christ-centered. It is truly Christ-centered. He's at the center of it. It's for defending Christ and defending His Word. It's for following Christ and following His Word. Not about any other preferences, opinion, or pride issues. Ultimately, Christian, when we are insulted, let it not be because we're acting foolishly, but because we're living godly. When we're accused, let it not be because we broke tax laws or traffic laws, but because we refuse to break God's law. When they beat us and kill us, let's make sure that they hear of Christ's beating and Christ's killing. It must be clear, this person follows a different master. They follow a higher king. And when they see our master, the gospel of Jesus Christ shines bright and the impact is amazing. Not diminished. 
It's interesting, if you look back at all the persecutions of church history, the tyrants, the governments, they tried to suppress Christianity. They tried to stop it. And these bold men and women stood up for their faith. And they were standing firm in Christ. So they, these tyrants and governments tried to suppress Christianity through actual persecution, mass incarceration, and murders. And the result usually reversed. Persecution didn't suppress the gospel. Persecution advanced the gospel. Many repented from their sins and believed in Jesus when they saw men and women who were willing to die for him. They saw men and women singing hymns at their burning and they said, his or her God must be real. He must be exceptional if they're willing to be burned for his name's sake. I want that kind of joy and suffering. A joy that is attractive and that boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someday, sometimes, I wish those days would come back. Because God works through persecution in two main ways we see in the scripture. Number one, persecution purifies the church. It's God weeding his garden. False preachers, false Christians... They burn out under persecution. They're out of here. When the going gets rough, the rough get going. But those truly rooted in Christ endure persecution. And they remain and hold steadfast. So persecution purifies the church. And secondly, persecution grows our faith. Grows our faith. James 1 tells us to rejoice. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Persecution grows us. So I'm not yet at the point of praying for it. <laughs> but when it comes, I'll embrace it. I'll embrace it, trusting in God and rejoicing because my reward in heaven is great. Some closing application questions. These are questions I ask myself and I'd like for you to ask yourself, are you too comfortable in the Christian life? Do you avoid faith-related conversations because you might get made fun of at work? Or because if you're, afraid, you're afraid of how they might respond, it could be worse for you. You could get fired because of it. Maybe you don't see evidence of persecution in your life because you've placed protective barriers around it. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to just mind my own business. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, the same sermon, he says, you're the light of the world. We're not to be of the world. We're not to be in fellowship with the world, but we're in the world and to be a light to the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, you know this verse, shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christian, you weren't placed on this planet to dig a little comfortable hole and to gather your family in it and and just wait until the rapture or (laughs) wait until Jesus comes back, but we're given a purpose to be a light in the world, to make disciples. In order to do that, you've got to speak up. You've got to be bold. The Lord has you in your jobs, your places, your neighborhoods for a reason. And it's not to be silent, not to be like a candle hidden under the basket, but let your light shine before men. Do you struggle with a fear of men? Christ said himself, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell forever. Remember, set eternity on the forefront of your mind. Be motivated by Christ and his heavenly reward. Ask him daily for the boldness and courage to live radically for him and to be able to endure persecution. Do not fear men, but fear God and obey his commandments. I want to end with this note. Where is your hope in life and death? Because that's it. That'll get you through persecution. That'll get you through trials and suffering. Where is your hope, Christian? Let me remind you, your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in the government. Your hope is not in a political leader or lack thereof. Your hope, Christian, is Christ. Your high king in his heavenly kingdom. So you live for him and you look forward to being with him forever. Set your expectations very low for this world. (laughs) Expect the worst. Not that we would live foolishly. Not that we wouldn't still be wise stewards of our families, protecting our families. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about ultimately living for Jesus Christ. When push comes to shove, following your king, loving him, and at the end of the day, willing to forsake all else for him. Uh, I'll end with this illustration, a guard came to George Carpenter while he was in prison. He was waiting for his execution. This is a while ago too. He said, my friend George, do you not fear death and punishment which you will suffer? If you were let go, wouldn't you return to your wife and children? George responded, if I were set free, where else would I go but back to my wife and children whom I love? Then the guard said, then revoke your belief. Recant, and you will be set free. Ah, so the carrot. Mr. Carpenter paused, and then he replied, My wife and my children are so dearly loved that they cannot be bought from me for all the riches of the world. But for the love of my king, I will willingly forsake them. Wow. Wow. The love of the king was higher and greater. Higher and greater. Is it in your heart? Is it in your life? Difficult things to study, difficult things to look through and see, but we see them in the scripture. How will you apply God's word to your life this week and in the coming days? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, pray for these sweet saints of Summit Bible Church and myself included. I pray that you'd give us 
a supernatural resolve in these difficult times. That we would be solely and wholly committed to our King and His kingdom. Lord, and even in the midst of persecution, that we would trust Him, lean on Him, love Him. God, that needs to be supernatural. That's not, those are not desires and thoughts that we ourselves can contrive. We are weak. But Lord, You can strengthen our faith, encourage our hearts, and set eternity before our hearts and eyes that we would live for You. Pray that You'd help us to do that. Lord, that as doomsday appears to be approaching, Lord, we know that we're closer to the day of the Lord than ever. I pray that you would remind us of your sovereignty, your control of it all, that we would trust in you, who's in control of all things, even kings and their kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, they're all under your control. And that, Lord, as we see persecution coming for your people and even the church, even manifestations of it today, God, I pray that you'd give us again that resolve to live for you at the cost of anything else, Lord. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.